And welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading Patricia Sanjin Tells Her Own Story by Patricia Sanjin with permission of 10 of those publishing company. And we are in Chapter 9, First Contacts. There was a great need for medic work in the little town. A Spanish doctor came up three times a week, and most of the men in those days would not allow their wives to unveil, let alone undress, in front of a foreign man. So there was virtually no treatment for women and children. I had hoped I could use my nursing knowledge to help them, but weeks went by, and I was still looked on with hostility and suspicion by the town in general. My times are in your hands is one of my favorite verses. Looking back now, I can see that I needed those quiet months to study the language far more thoroughly before I started to make contacts with people. I had gone through the fat Arabic grammar and could at least make myself intelligible on simple subjects when at last the break came. The wife of a wealthy citizen had had her first baby boy, and an enormous feast was planned for the seventh day. The sheep had been killed, and the bread baked, and the baby sickened and refused to feed. The guests gathered quickly, for it was important to get the feasting over before the baby died, if it was going to do so, and they arrived in large numbers. But the young mother yearned for her son to live. She whispered to the servant girl, I've heard there's an English nurse in town. Run and fetch her. I followed the girl to the large house. In that windowless room, the air was thick and steaming with fumes of food, and the baby was grasping for breath. I thought it had pneumonia, but being too weak and breathless to suck, its immediate problem was dehydration. I did what anybody with any common sense would have done, boiled up a mug and spoon on the glowing charcoal and expressed the breast milk, feeding the baby drop by drop with a spoon and adding tiny doses of medicine. And as I did so, I prayed. There was dead silence in the room. The boiling of utensils was to them almost a kind of witchcraft. Buzz, they exclaimed. She boiled the spoon. They gathered round to watch, and God had mercy. For the baby thrived, and patients began to come to my door till I could no longer cope with them. Many of them, in, in any case, needed a doctor. I started a dispensary three times a week and made up a few standard bottles of medicines and lotions from raw materials ordered from England and procured by the way of a hospital in Tajir a bottle of tablets, warm powders, and etc. I also bought a few antibiotics, precious as gold because they still so rare and expensive. I had a variety of patients, tough village men who wanted their teeth pulled. In a number of cases, the tooth had been broken by the village barber, and only the stump remained. Desperately anemic girls who had given birth at 13 or 14, spotty, unnourished babies, children with coughs and parasites, head sores with edemic head lice, even mules were sometimes pushed through with horrible saddle sores, flattening the excited, laughing patients against the wall and causing chaos. It was one thing to get the beast in, another to put it in reverse and get it out. To turn it in such a small room was virtually impossible and a flick of its tail would have cleared the table. Often there was little I could do, but I was helped by the extreme sensitivity to drugs and those who had never had them. Their response to antibiotics was almost miraculous, yet there were difficulties and mistakes, often due to our mutual lack of understanding. I remember being called to a two-year-old who, as far as I could tell, was desperately ill with pneumonia. I dissolved a tablet of medicine and coaxed the child to drink it advised of his care, and put two more tablets on the cupboard. One at twelve o'clock, I repeated many times, and one at four o'clock. And at eight o'clock, I'll return. I returned his promise. The child seemed cured and was bouncing up and down. 
The tablets reposed where I had left them. Why did you not give the tablets, I asked. She gazed at me blankly. You said 12 o'clock and 4 o'clock, but we haven't got a clock, she replied. I remember being fetched by a man who lived in a village about eight miles away to visit a boy of 15, who three days previously had fallen backwards into a cauldron of boiling water. The family was finding the smell unbearable and needed help. The father had brought a mule, but on those very rough mountain paths, I preferred to walk. The village lay in a deep sloping valley between two arms of rock, little collections of thatched mud huts surrounded by green, green fields of Indian corn. In one of those lay the boy, groaning and burnt from his waist to his knees. The blisters had been plastered with a kind of black herbal paste and were obviously infected. It took between one to two hours to clean him, although he was incredibly brave. As well as his dressing in the previous penicillin, I had brought a clean sheet for bandaging, and we tore it into strips. I returned two days later to repeat the dressings with another old sheet, and he seemed much better, and the burns looked clean. I pointed to the dirty strips. You must wash them in the stream, I said, and boil them for many minutes. Then you must hang them there on the line to dry, and I will roll them up. I returned another two days and got a great welcome. When I asked for the bandages, I was greeted with roars of laughter. The conversation went as follows. Did you wash them? Yes, yes, we washed them in the stream. Did you boil them? Yes, yes, we boiled them long on the charcoal. Did you hang them up to dry? Yes, yes, we hung them on the line. Gales of mirth and a goat came and ate them up. But in spite of all, the boy recovered and the village began to recognize me. I arrived on one visit just as a bridal procession was winding down the opposite side of the village and the bride heavily veiled and riding a mule and all the men in the village accompanying her with flutes and drums and suddenly the poor girl found herself abandoned. There was a wild rush across the valley and I was surrounded. Aspernatus, they shouted, Aspernatus. Aspirin being the only form of Western medicine they knew. There was a man of another village who needed fluid drawn off his abdomen every three or four weeks. I would set out with a toka and a cannula and needles well sterilized in a boiled aluminum jug covered by a boiled cloth. The procedure had to be done outside as the hut was too dark and the man would set himself comfortably against a tree trunk. All was ready and I was washing my hands when the goats suddenly came home round a rock in a big rush. One old nanny put her back leg right into the sterile jug, and it took a very long time to collect firewood, light it, and boil everything again. But in the autumn, Farnham returned with his Janet. They came up for the first weekend of every month and saw a few cases, sometimes advising him to come to the hospital. For some, this was an enormous adventure and expedition. This was a great relief and a lifting of responsibility, but ultimately one knew that the healing was of God. Where my knowledge reached its limit, he so often took over. In the summer of the following year, Margaret from Switzerland joined me for a time, and I learned what it meant to have someone quietly praying while I dealt with the sick and tried to preach the gospel. But I think I was still alone when a well-dressed man came to the door and said his wife was possessed with the devil, and he understood that the Jesus I prayed to could cast out devils. I had not met a challenge like this before, but I offered to go with him and see the woman. Sure enough, she was muttering, flinging herself wildly about, and in a society where there's no psychiatric treatment, this sort of thing is indeed a calamity. 
The only treatment is to tie the patient to a stake in the wall and to continue to live around her. But as I watched her and heard of her symptoms, I felt no sense of evil. I thought she was having fits, and I just felt deeply sorry for her. I remembered that the Lord had power over sickness as well as over evil spirits, and I asked to be allowed to go home for an hour and then return. The challenge of this power remained. I started to pray, and there was no sense of peace or assurance or any breakthrough. I seemed to be praying to the ceiling, and the air was oppressive with a deep sense of failure. I found myself crying out, Lord, what is the matter? Why don't you speak to me? And almost as though spoken, the answer came back. I was reminded vividly of a period in my life when I worked with a woman I just could not get on with. You didn't like her, and she didn't like you, that voice seemed to be saying, and you didn't care. You had other friends, and you didn't try to put it right. Write and tell her you're sorry. That was the last thing I wanted to do, but too much depended on it. I'll write tonight, I promised, and somehow the sense of God's presence was restored. I went back to the house and prayed in the name of Jesus, and the woman became quiet and recovered. The name of Jesus was vindicated, and they acknowledged his power, although as far as I know, none of them ever came to trust him. But for me, it was a step forward, a restoration of the truth that God was trying to teach me. Power is a dangerous instrument, and our God is a jealous God. He will not entrust it to anyone who is not wholly sanctified. And I have come to believe that wholly sanctified means clean, obedient, at that point where God shines his light. We have a merciful God, and he does not shine his noonday sun in the morning. If he showed us once for all the unguessed depths of pride and selfishness in our natures, most of us would despair and give up. Little by little, life reveals, and the gentle challenge comes over and over again. Will you be made clean? And on each occasion that we answer, yes, at any cost, he accepts us and comes to sanctify us and works through us. Well, we have tomorrow will be chapter 10, Fatima and her friends. I love you. I'm praying for you and I will see you tomorrow. Bye bye.